Hello, and welcome to the Fantasy Rewind Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dylan Stoll, and I'm joined as always by my friend, Michael Whifford. Hey, 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 hey. So today, we're going to be talking episode 6 of Rings of Power, titled... Udon? Udon? I don't know. <laughs> Udon? Yeah, Udon is a good one there. Um, so before we dive into our episode review and breakdown here, I just we have a couple of reminders to give out. Um, so as always, if you'd like to get in contact with the show... You can send us an email, which is fantasyrewindpod at gmail.com. You can also get at us on Twitter, which is at fantasyrewind. Or on Instagram as well, which is at fantasyrewindpod. Also, we just want to announce the results of the giveaway for the book that we were doing for our year-long anniversary. Um, So I already announced this on Instagram, but the winner of the book, which... The winner chose The Silmarillion, which is an amazing book there. Great choice there. Um, It is Critter XD. So congratulations, Mm -hmm. and the book is in the mail. I hope you enjoy it. It's on the way. Yes, we hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much to everyone who stopped by and shared and liked and um, on their posts and stuff. So that was very appreciated and sent us messages. Very appreciated, and we thank you so much for that. All right, let's dive into the rewind. Okay, so episode six of Rings of Power. So many feelings towards this episode. I just got finished watching it, and I was left with a lot of questions and a lot of um, confusion on my part as a viewer. And so I think... If I were to sum up this episode in a few words, beautiful, but confusing, or even dumb. (laughs) And okay, that's not holding it back at all. Um, So I think I have to agree with you on a couple things there. First of all, I thought that the episode was shot beautifully, which again has never been Mm. an issue for Rings of Power. It's always looked stunning on screen here. I also say this is by far the most action-packed episode of the season oh, yeah, so far. Absolutely. And so I really did enjoy that part there. However, mm-hmm. there were some very questionable choices, very questionable plot devices um, that went into this episode that definitely took me out of my enjoyment and kind of had me scratching my head a little bit as to some of these. Yeah. Um, but... Let's dive into some things a a little bit more specifically. So, Mike, I think the best place to start here is just talking about the orc attack on the elf tower. So what were your thoughts on this particular scene here? So I was, you know, we see, we kind of open up and we see um, the father of the orcs, the Uruk, Adar, planting some seeds, which you find out later is like an elven tradition, which really... They've been sort of hinting at, but really spelled it out in this episode that he's a twisted elf. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought that was fine. He was rallying them, saying, like, we're no longer going to be slaves. And I was like, okay, cool. They're trying to get us to really kind of see the orcs as more than just the villains. Right. This was the most perfectly plot, fine. Or sorry, the most, like, character development for orcs that we've ever gotten. Yeah. But, I mean, like, outside of, like, him... We don't care about any of the orcs. Right. 
You know what I mean? And I think that's that's an issue I have with that is like we care about him, but even he just treats orcs as fodder. So he might bend over and close their eyes when they die or whatever. But you're right. He still is sending out the orcs to just die and to do what he needs them to do, which in this case is attempt to kill a bunch of villagers and an elf. Yeah, over a sword. Or a key. I'm just going <laughs> to... Uh, yeah. You know, you expect... I don't want to get onto that just yet. But anyway, yeah, the Elf Tower, it, it was very cool, It, but it very reminiscent, this whole, like, with the Southlanders and the orcs fighting them thing, two towers. Yeah, That's all I kept thinking completely. throughout the entire thing. This is the two towers just done slightly differently. My biggest issue with this first part it isn't the fighting. The action, all of it looks beautiful. They did an excellent job with that. Loved that they had the tower collapse in. I thought that was cool. But my issue was, how did all of the villagers get from up there in the watchtower down to the village without any of those orcs noticing? Because as we find out later in this episode, Mike, that teleportation exists. So <laughs> that's how. Um, oh, yes. Sorry. Yes, uh, I would agree with you. I thought that this particular scene here was really cool how it showed how the villagers like fully went in on home aloneing the tower there and like filling it yeah. with a bunch of booby traps. Uh, I kind of blink a little bit at their ability to do so so completely. Um, yeah. But I think that it was a cool scene. It was very enjoyable. Um, mm-hmm. It completely reminded me of two towers reminded me so much of the battle of helms deep just in that regard a little bit but also it reminded me just of the villagers that you see from rohan just running away through the Westfold as the orcs burned and pillaged it and the wild men of the west as well like came in on them you see like the same type of like mentality of all of the soldiers whether they're little kids or old folks putting on armor, gearing up to try and fight their battle um, that they were given at Helm's Deep there from all across Rohan. And you're seeing the same thing in the Southlands here, where you're seeing all of these people, whether they're Theo or older men that might have once fought in a war before, strap on a sword, grab an axe or a pitchfork or whatever, and get ready to defend everything that they have left. Yeah. That's a definitely good connection there. I didn't quite make it to that. I more so was just making it to the Battle of Helm's Deep and a lot of the uh, sort of how the hope was kind of all gone. And I mean, it did go in some different directions than I thought it was going to. Um, when they got with so long story short, they got down to the village somehow and they fortified mm-hmm. it and um, they set up booby traps there for when the orcs came down, which um, my wife happened to come home and she was watching a little bit with me and she was like how did they know to go here like why are they going to the, the keep or the to the tavern why are they focusing there instead of like any of these other buildings that's a very good question and i was like <laughs> i was like that's a pretty good question that's very valid um not sure they maybe they can smell the people i don't know i was like they're doing it because you know it's to create tension and to like oh no so much is at stake um I love, though, how they set it up and they made it seem really easy. Like, yeah, they got them all. And then, lo and behold, oh, wait, they didn't actually get all the orcs. Those were actually their villagers. That, that was, was a cool nice twist. little twist I like that twist a lot, actually. I did, too. I thought that was very clever. 
um, and very well done, but... See, I, I did not think for a second that that was all of the orcs. I was like, there's way too few oh, of them. Oh, no. I did, however, have the thought, I was like, you know, what if that was, like, one of the scouting parties that was, like, looking for them? Mm-hmm. Like, they took them out. Maybe now those orcs won't report back to the larger party that, oh, we found the villagers. But no. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a focused attack on the tavern, on the villagers there, and everybody comes afterwards. But something that does happen during this particular part that is of significance is Bronwyn getting shot with an arrow. Oh, and ki- kissing. Oh, well, and, you know, before that, having a little bit of final, like, I'm going to kiss you, elf. Yeah, they uh, they finally broke the seal on the romance between Arondir and Bronwyn, just that completely forced narrative that is so unbelievable, it's ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, so Bronwyn gets shot with an arrow, and they are like, oh no, she's going to like bleed out if we don't do something here. And I thought for a minute, actually, that she might actually die. But lo and behold, she takes it like a champ, gets the arrow pulled out from her, and then her wound soldered by a flaming hot sword. Interesting that he put the seeds in her. Yes. And I know he had said, I think they had mentioned before about them having healing properties. Well, what they had mentioned was that the Valar, um, especially, like, Yavanna, in particular of the Valar, is present and, like, watching wherever, like, there is a new life growing. So, like, by uh, by Arondir putting those seeds into her, it's like they're, they're like, growing inside her, basically. I don't, I don't know. It's just kind of like what I was thinking. But it's like Yavanna putting her protection almost on Bromwyn. And okay. so that's kind of how I interpreted it, at least. That's fair. Um, anyway, so they find out after they defeated the orcs, or thought they defeated the orcs, that they were actually their village mates, and then, oh no, there's an actual attack coming from the side. Right. Yeah, they're not just going to march right down where you have all your defenses. They're going to sneak around and get you from the back. Yeah, and so then pretty much they're encircled. They're getting ready to just... They bust in, actually, into the keep where all the women and children are being held. And I this scene was actually... Brutal. It, it was really good, I'd say. Um, probably one of the best in the episode in terms of, like, they just walk in and they're just like, where is the artifact? And, you know, and then they just start killing yeah, people. Yeah, no mercy at all. <laughs> I was like, I was like, that's how this should be, actually. like That's what orcs would I do. I was surprised... <laughs> Yeah, I know. I was surprised they did that, but, like, I was surprised they had restraint in the first place. But then I was like, oh, yeah, they do need the artifact. And he, he knows it. Arondir knows it. Uh, because if they just give it to him, then they're all dead anyway. Right, exactly. And I thought it was an interesting choice that you see Arondir basically being willing to sacrifice Bromwyn. Because he's like, I'm not going to tell you where this is. Like, it's too much of an important artifact. You can't have it. I know you want it. You're going to kill us all anyway. But then, lo and behold, Theo somehow saw exactly where Rondir put it. Because he knew Theo was following him and watching him, not so stealthily, try and hide this sword. But you would think that if Rondir was putting it under the floorboards in the tavern, that he, first mm-hmm. of all, would have made sure nobody was in the tavern there with him to watch. So they wouldn't know exactly where it was. 
And maybe when he saw that somebody was following him, because he's supposed to be this elf ranger, um, if he felt like he was being watched, maybe he should have not hit it in the most obvious position. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know about all that. Like, I kind of just assumed he watched him put it. Yeah. Or, like we go to find out later, he does have kind of a connection to it, like you had said. Yeah. But apparently right? not that good of a connection. No, no. We should pause here because after this is when, you know, the third day comes the sunlight and Numenor uh, to the rest the Riders of Rohan. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Except it's not the Riders of Rohan this time. But uh we're kind of in this episode flashing between the Numenorians on the three ships. The three ships. I'll say that one more time. The three ships. <laughs> Why is that important? Because there is a lot of people on three ships and a lot of horses on three ships that was where i was like the math not quite um adding up here for me uh not to mention also like when they're flashing to them they're out at sea yeah, and then yeah. they're like it's going to take us like a couple days to get there and it's like but they're in the village and they're right on the eve like you know on the edge of death and it's like these timelines aren't matching up and i know they're doing that to build suspense but it almost should have been like Numenorians were just completely out of this until they showed up. Yeah, agreed. I thought that would have been a much better way to um, do it. Because otherwise it's like, okay, you're at sea, and then all of a sudden you're riding, like charging headlong. And how'd you know to go there? Exactly. Exactly. You know, that was kind of my thing too, is like, they're just char- like, not even just like going around like, oh, we see this village and it looks like they're under attack or things. Like, no, they're just charging across this huge plain going right into this village to kill all these orcs. Because like, you <sighs> could make the argument that Halbrand would have told them that the orcs were invading the Southlands, that he thought the orcs would try and take out the Elf Tower, but how far is it from the Elf Tower to this village? And how would they know exactly what village to go to and show up exactly on time? Other than yeah. plot, of course. I mean, that's the thing, though, is like they did a lot of things in this episode for plot, and I just I feel very let down by how this some of this concluded. This, yeah. for instance, like if they wanted it to be at the same time, that's fine. But put in something, maybe even flashbacks later on to explain some of it and keep the Numenorians out of it, so we're not in this weird like time confusion. And I, I know some people might be like, "Well, you guys are just nitpicking right now," but it took me out of it. Like I I was a little taken aback. I was like enjoying the fight that was going on in the village. And then all of a sudden, the Numenorians went from being on their ships in the middle of the ocean. While charging ocean, across some giant field. Yeah, yeah, to charging across some giant field to, to being in the village. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, it's fine if it, you want something to work out in a certain way, but build it in a way that's believable. And I don't think they really did that. And then we get to the biggest, it, my biggest issue with the episode. And I, I, I do want to come back and talk about the... Uh, Kind of the confrontation between Halbrand and, you know, Galadriel and, yeah, yeah. but um, let's just talk about the sword. While it was a cool little reveal, like when, you know, at, at the end of the episode where he gives him the sword and he said, tells him, uh, gives, sorry, Theo gets the sword, quote unquote, um, to give to the Numenorians to sort of shed this weight. And I was like, oh, it's very much like a one ring moment, like mm-hmm. get rid of this temptation 
and he opens it up and it's like a regular hand axe and where i'm i was immediately sitting there like oh wow he didn't trust him he didn't think theo was going to check it and then it flashes to the old man with the sword sticking it into the watchtower base and or the rock at the watchtower to twist it i was like oh wow that was actually really clever and i was like what's it gonna do i is it gonna just end the episode here that would be a really good way to end this episode is to just leave us get like oh no what's gonna happen no no they didn't no instead <laughs> instead this sword which they fought over that has seems to have magical powers that takes blood and it's been entrusted to the ancestors of the southlands is a key Okay, cool. A key to unlocking Sauron's tomb, a key to unlocking some more powerful items. Like, what's what's the key for, right? No, 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 no. It is not a key to anything cool. It is a key to open up and break the dam that's holding all this water back. What? What? (laughs) What? What? Are you kidding me? I was sitting there, and I was just, like, looking at it, and I was like, that is so stupid. Because if they knew that this key was going to open up the dam, why didn't they just go and bust the dam down? There was enough orcs to do that. They've dug a whole huge trench system, which we find out later is pretty much just plumbing for the Southlands. Exactly. Um, they they built this whole like you know intricate plumbing system with a bunch of slave labor. They could have brought all those slaves up there, bust down this, bust down this dam for us. Okay, we'll do it. But instead, no, we need this key to break apart some stone. I would it just... does more than that, though, Mike. I... <laughs> Listen, the only reason it does more than that is because they built the trench system. Yes, yeah. But they built this entire system predicated on finding this sword to knock a couple rocks down to let the water go. I, I mean, I know it was more than just a couple rocks, but still, like... They could have done that without um, without this key. That's my issue. You know, and I think it's a valid concern. Um, I firstly want to jump back, though, and say that when Adar first came out of the town hall area there, and when the Numenorians were fighting, he said to the old dude, I've got a task for you. And I knew yeah. right then and there that he was giving him the the sword and he was going to play like he had it and run away. And the whole time when Galadriel had it, when Arondir had it, when Theo had it, I was like, check the stinking package. It's not uh, in there. I was like, I know it's not prove me right. Like why haven't you checked this yet? So I, so that was I didn't think annoying. it happened just because like the minute he came out and said that it was just like Numenorians there. So yeah, it, it was, was it was a super quick blink and you miss it type of thing. The other thing I'll say though is that this like key hole that they needed to put the base in was at the elf tower. Why was it at the elf tower? If it was at the elf tower and the elves knew about it, like Rondir seemed to know, why didn't he? They like destroy the hole the sword was supposed to go into, make it so that this weapon could never be used. It just didn't make any sense at all to me. Yeah. And then you throw in what I thought was just the final like cherry on top of the idiocy of the final parts of this episode with Galadriel walking towards the destructive wave of fire and death 
coming right at her. But that's supposed to be dying. that's supposed to show that like her going into the darkness and her you know <laughs> her realizing that she caused this. I guess. I don't yeah. Know. I don't um, know. I I thought that was just. Yeah, I just have, there just, it leads to so many questions. Like, if there, if it had been a powerful weapon and all this, like, cool. But it being a key to, like, bust open the, the dam and let all the water go just makes so many plot holes. Like, who designed this in the first place? Right, right. Why right, would they true. design this for Sauron and for the creation of Mordor? Like, they, again, very cool how it all happened. You know, the water rushing into the volcano causing like that's how they were getting rid of the sun as sun as they were creating this huge um you know cloud of eruption smoke. from mount doom yes and so like okay i get all that like very neat very interesting way to do that but at the same time like why wasn't it done forever ago if this was designed for evil you know yeah so i don't know maybe i missed something in all this like whoever designed the dam maybe they use magical stones who knows so let's get back to the part we skipped over here, yeah. which is the moments between Halbrand and Adar, because yes, they are leaning heavily into Halbrand being Sauron. Oh yeah, totally. And they're also leaning heavily into a romance between Halbrand and Galadriel. Uh, yeah, just to just to break that off later when he becomes evil. So I have several problems with all of this but my biggest problem is that like we we've sit, sat here and said like we don't think he's sauron it's too obvious i kind of writers are just that bad i, <laughs> That's I kind of think that it might be uh because the way they're building this really really feels like it it really feels like and i i was right there with you i was like it, it's way too obvious they're laying way too many breadcrumbs here if this guy ends up being Sauron, then, like, everybody and their mother would have seen this coming. There's no way they'd be that lazy in their writing. However, we are the talking dam. about Rings of Power in the Dam, yes. So I'm sorry, I can't get over that, man. writing is seeming to be their forte, yeah. unfortunately. And, listeners, if you have any kind of perspective or any way that you could kind of explain this to me... I'm all ears. I would love to hear some rationale why you think this works. Um, because after watching it, I was just sitting there like, you know, I haven't cared about the lore and it diving off from it and all that because I don't know this part, this section of history as well. Like, it's been forever since I read The Silmarillion and I know they don't have the rights to it. I haven't really cared about that. I've been interested in learning about different aspects of Middle Earth, but like, this just seems like it's just they're writing things in to just write things in and then not really explaining it in very meaningful or convincing ways. And I will also say that the whole like sword turning the key to ignite Mount Doom seems way more video game-esque than anything Tolkien would have ever written. It seems way more just like I said, like lazy writing than anything else. Um, not to mention that all of this begs the question of where is Celeborn, Galadriel's husband, who has not been mentioned at all yet in this series where Galadriel would have been married to her, uh, or married to him, and the romance between her and Halbrand, flush that down the toilet, I don't care about that at all, it's never gonna happen, um, I just, there's just so much going on here that just really makes me question a lot of, like, 
a lot of choices that they're being that they're making right now. Um, so I had this comment as far as like what I thought about Galadriel when I was talking to somebody on one of the Lord of the Rings Facebook group here. And I think that it's just worth repeating here because I thought it was a really good comment. I'm biased because I said it. <laughs> but I said that I don't care about them making Galadriel a warrior. Nope, don't I care. I don't care about cool. them making her the leader of the Northern Armies. Yep, don't care. What cool. I care about has with her in particular has been the complete divergence of her character regarding any semblance of wisdom, any semblance of charisma, any semblance of just having any compassion for anybody other than herself. And I thought that portrayal-wise, this episode did the most for me for Galadriel as far as me liking her. Yeah, this was a Um, good episode for her. And even her interaction with... um, thought that her interactions with Hellbrand in this episode were good. I just really cannot get behind the idea of a romance between her and and Sauron. And that being a, a thing they're trying to push. The Great Deceiver. Yeah, the Great Deceiver is right. But anyways, I thought that would all explain, in all this episode... But it would yeah. explain how he ends up getting into some of the elf inner circles. <laughs> would that, that it would. That it would. Um, through Galadriel going in and meeting Calabrimbor, Gilgalad, yep. Elrond. And he sparks and up a relationship with Elrond. You know, yeah, you know. Just go all out here. Gotta complete that trifecta. <laughs> the Halbrand Elrond. Galadriel's <laughs> love triangle. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it is interesting. And if they do make him Sauron, like, I hope they wait a bit longer, obviously, and flesh him out a little bit more. Because he isn't... Halbrand is an interesting character. And he's actually one of the more interesting ones. Because he has some mystery to him. Right. Because you don't know some of his aspects. But you do like... You do kind of feel for him. Because it's like he doesn't want this role. But he's willing to take it. Like this role of the un, like the king of the south. And, and so one of the things that I think is worth mentioning here as well. Is after Morgoth was defeated. Right? After... Mm-hmm the big bad of the First Age was defeated in the War of Wrath, Sauron was legitimately repentant. So he was trying to prove to the Valar, prove to other people that he was going to return back to being a person of, of light, was going to shed his evil ways. And then as he did that more and more, he, like endeared himself to some of the other races of middle earth and the more he endeared himself the more he started to slip back into that lord of darkness role there Mm -hmm. and so what i could almost see them doing is having halbrand being hesitant to take this role of leadership that he doesn't want of being the king in the south and really having it be like he's hesitant to go back to his evil ways of being Sauron. He likes being Halbrand. He likes people calling him Halbrand. And, like, still smithing, still being, like, that leader in exile, which, you know, if he was the king of the Southlands taking up residence in Mordor, you know, that's a whole a whole other aspect of it all you could go with. But, yeah, I think that if they play up that repentant Sauron angle that it would kind of make sense for the way that Halbrand's acted so far. 
Yeah. Well, I'd agree with all of that. I really don't have too much more to um, say about the episode. I think I kind of got it all out there. Um, as for predictions... Yeah, let's do it. I mean, I think next episode, obviously, we're hopefully going to see more of the Meteor Man, and I think we're going to get a bit more interaction between the Meteor Man and those three priestesses of Sauron. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll find out what they are and exactly, like, what they can do and what their purpose is. Because they but seem like I think th- they were kind of hyped, right? They did. They so, seemed like they were excited about something. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, like, the not just them but like the marketing team and everything else like their photos are everywhere and so i think they're gonna have to play some kind of role here coming up but see i think that just like we saw this episode so let me just say this there's one more positive thing i want to say about this episode yeah i thought it was nice to see the convergence of the galadriel storyline story with the iran dear yeah. storyline thought that was nice um i almost wonder if the next episode which is the the one that is the next to last episode of the season i think that episode is going to be strongly focusing on the harfoots on elrond and durin and just kind of closing in and bringing that chapter of the story to more of a of a place where they can end for the season mm-hmm. um and then i feel like the last episode will get like some reveals of everything going on here. And, like, I would not be surprised if by the end of this season, Halbrand's identity is still a secret. Mm-hmm. Meteor Man's identity is still a secret. A Belrog is released. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Meteor Man gets, like, captured by the priestesses of Sauron or by those the people in white. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens with all that. I kind of feel like, um, man, there's going to be some more time jumps, some weird time things. Yeah. Because, you know, with the Balrog, they would have to continue mining. And what we've seen so far is they don't mind just jumping ahead and you don't know how long it's been or anything. So I kind of, I agree with you. The Balrog will probably pop out here. Last episode. Yeah, last episode, not this next one. Which... I don't know how I feel about that. Because, okay, so that Belrog comes out, and then that's it for the Mines of Moria. Yeah, that's it for the Mithril delving. <laughs> and supposedly, if they don't get enough Mithril, the elves are all going to die. So, we'll see. Yeah, that's why I'm kind of like, I don't know how that's going to work exactly. Like, it would have been cool if they hadn't hyped the Belrog up at all. Yeah, I think that having the Belrog come out, like, Season three would have been much better than end of season one, yeah. which I think is when it happens. But some of the we'll pacing, some of the pacing has been good in some ways and bad in other ways. Like, you know, it's been cool. Okay, we're not sitting around here waiting eight episodes for them to mine Mithril or figure out what Mithril is. Right. But at the same time, we're jumping around so much that you're going to have to reveal things, and then what happens after that? Because we know once the bell rocks out, like. They have to abandon it. Yeah, they send centuries later people to go back and try to reclaim the mines just to find out it's inhabited by orcs, but I don't know. Lots of mystery still ahead. And yeah, lots of mystery. I'm, I'm curious how they're going to do it and if it's going to be worth watching, but we'll find out. 
I, I think it'll be... I think this episode definitely had its flaws. Again, beautiful. I'm still intre- I'm still excited to finish the last two episodes and see what the Agreed. other storylines have. Because, again, really liked the, like, Moria and the Hardfoot storylines right now where they're at, so. All right. Well, with all of that being said, if you have any predictions, listeners, go ahead and drop them in our email, drop them at our socials. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are about how you think this season's going to end for Rings of Power. But, that's going to be it for us for this episode. So this is going to be Two Nerds signing off. See ya. See ya.